Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone, then be seated. Did have a wonderful weekend, a great beast feast. Thank you, and we're looking forward already to next year. Save the date, March the 4th, 2023. Don't know where we'll put them all, but wonderful, wonderful turnout yesterday. Great work. God bless all of you that had a part in it, and um, looking forward to great things in the future. Coming up in the near future, we have this next Saturday is time change already. So as you go to bed next Saturday evening, turn your clocks forward. Yes, you're going to lose an hour, but it's just one that you were lent temporarily anyway. But um, it's uh, going to be the loss of that hour we got in the fall and everybody be in church on time. Praise the Lord. Don't forget we got visitation and we've got, we're all ready. Dequan, we are all ready. So we need to get that crowd out we had two weeks ago or last week. Let's get them out and let's go door to door. We had a caravan of, what, about six cars going out there and visiting. Praise the Lord. Be part of it. Let's build it up. It's time to build up our classes, our bus routes, our ministries to the glory of God. Let's fill this place up. Saw some new faces today. Had some folks profess salvation yesterday and today. God is in the business of saving a people for himself. We want to see them grow in grace. We want to do our part. Let's be busy. So come out for cleaning, uh, of course, on Saturday, and then for visitation, and for a great day next Sunday, even with time change, even with time change. Now, coming up later on, we've got uh, Palm Sunday, sandwiched between that on Tuesday night, the 12th of April. We have our, our Passover Lord's Supper for our extended church family. Hope everyone will make plans for that 7.30 in the evening. We've talked about it with our faithful men. And uh, we're going to be back and, and doing that again. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and then we have Resurrection Sunday. I know the world calls it Easter. I know they're, they're concerned about the little bunnies and the eggs and all of that. And, and I think bunnies and eggs are fine. In fact, they, they make a nice side dish for each other. And, uh, oh, come on, I laugh. That's all right. Uh, we, we, we're going to have a, a God-honoring, Christ-exalting Resurrection Sunday. We'll have some extra music. We'll have some, some resurrection preaching. Let's get Everybody goes to church on Easter, so let's get people out. Let's fill this place up. And then coming up at the end of April on the 30th, it's the ladies and girls' turn. The men will do the work, and the ladies and the girls will have a wonderful Spring tea, praise the Lord. Looking forward to that. One o'clock in the afternoon, Saturday, the 30th of April. Mom's Day is coming up. We've got some, some days to honor our military. Actually, the entire month of May officially is Military Appreciation Month. Did you know that? There are so many dates in that month. I thought there were like maybe two or three special dates. Uh-uh. Uh, they even have a special day for honoring military spouses. Did you know that? And we're going to do all of the above because we are red, white, and blue Americans. We are patriotic Christians, and we honor our military. All right, just a few things that I wanted to mention, but thank you to everyone for your part in making everything such a success this weekend. Now, we do have next Saturday at 3 o'clock our last session of this particular um, series of Bible Institute. 1606 is this Saturday at 3 o'clock. You want to view that, be part of the big crowd that's growing 
and we will have graduation on Sunday night, June 26th. So hopefully everybody gets all their work done by then. You're on your honor. And um, also giving, thank you for the 1,560-some Bibles to go to the third world. Praise the Lord. And now the 100,000 tracks plus to go to the Spanish-speaking world. And we're going to see that come to pass. Praise the Lord. So how big is God? How big is God? Well, the song tells us he's big enough to rule his mighty universe and yet small enough to live within our heart. In the person of the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord. I was so thankful this week I needed guidance and direction as we do every moment of every day. But I really sensed it, preacher. I really sensed the need to get some guidance from the Holy Spirit. And God never lets you down. If you seek him with all your heart, you, you, I mean, he will be found. I know, I know that's Old Testament. I know that's dispensational uh, truth. I understand that. But I really believe the application of that truth for us here and now. In this, in this age of grace, this church age, I believe more than ever, because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we need to seek the Lord in that respect. Not for salvation, but because we are saved. And we're not detached. We're not untethered. We are, we, we are in the firm embrace of God's amazing grace. Amen. So praise the Lord. Thank you so much, one and all, for bearing with us as we muse about this important subject of how big God is. It all comes back to his attributes. And I could distribute that sheet that we've done so often uh, so many, so many things on there. And I was talking with a, a young man today about the tension between various doctrines. And we, he, he was asking me, I think he was seeking advice, and he was asking me, and my opinion is this, the older I get, the less I know. But um, I believe there are some parameters that we need to keep our discussion between. And then we need to give ourselves a little wiggle room and give your brother in Christ a little bit of liberty there in Christ and, and uh, not fall out over every nuance as long as we agree on the Word of God and on Jesus and on that which is already established that there's no question about. I think there are some questions in the Scripture that were designed just for inquiring minds, you know, for people who sit around and want to talk about it, and it's okay. It's kind of like... Uh, I don't have a career in algebra, one, two, three, four, uh, any of the math subjects that so many people enjoyed and that I endured. Um, I remember asking my algebra one teacher, for some reason I did well on my math test and ended up in eighth grade algebra. And I didn't want to be, but I was there. And I was, uh, I mean, it was a place I just had to come to terms with. And I asked uh, the professor, because that's what we called him. He, he, was, he was a man from Germany, and he knew his math. His name was Guggenheimer, Guggenheimer, something like that. And uh, I asked him, what good is this? Wrong question to ask. You know, and he said, well, you could use it for this. You could use it for that. You could use and none of those usages I saw as being useful to me. And guess what? None of them were useful. But he said, when all else fails, Mr. Winnegar, he spoke to me that way, Mr. Winnegar, when all else fails, 
it's good exercise for your mind. And I believe these spiritual truths, when we start talking about who God is and how big He is and how powerful He is and how we need to acknowledge that, I believe it's good for our spiritual exercise to be reminded that He's God and we're not. And uh, we need to remember that. This entire 96th Psalm would be worthy of our attention. I think about uh, the scripture, verse number 6, Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. And I remember the preacher, the famous preacher from the 20th century, first time he ever preached the message after which the book that he wrote was named, it was a book of sermons, Strength and Beauty. Uh, he preached that for the first time at Maranatha Baptist Bible College for our opening convocation. And, um, and that was the first time I ever heard it. And I'll never forget our, our homiletics teacher getting all the gentlemen together after we'd, we'd all been starry-eyed and mesmerized by this famous preacher who preached strength and beauty. And, and, and he stood at the board, the chalkboard, with his chalk, and he said, what was his outline? And out of 25 of us, nobody had a clue what his outline was. I knew there was strength, and I knew there was beauty, and I knew there was a sanctuary. I didn't know anything else. But the gist of that message was that in this day and time, the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. And so in that sense, we are his sanctuary. And we can be a repository for, for God's work of grace. And we can show a balance. Here's that tension between strength and beauty. And that's very true. We can serve the Lord efficiently. And, and not make uh, ourselves an irritant to everybody in the process. It's possible to be a servant of the Lord and to be a gentleman or a gentlewoman. It's possible for us to represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords without uh, trying to be kind of a fundamentalist uh, Attila the Hun. It's possible for us to do that. My, my uncle used to joke and say that... Um, you don't have to eat razor blades for breakfast, lunch, and dinner to be a fundamentalist. And then he would pause and a little sly grin off of one side of his face and say, but it helps. And I think what he had in mind is that all fundamentalists were just a little bit, you know, a little bit hard. And I believe it's important for us to be hard against sin and error, but we need to have a soft spot in our heart for lost folks and for misled folks and you know there's a modernist out there that needs Jesus and there's a cultist that needs the Lord and uh, how's he or she ever going to find the Lord if if we're just trying to be hard uh, nosed about it all the time we need to be absolute unbending when it comes to the truth when we think about the Lord we think about the fact that there are there there are these doctrines there are these attributes and these tensions between those doctrines and these attributes, and yet the most perfectly balanced being in the universe is God. And because He is, we should yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. How big is God? Big enough to rule the universe, but small enough to dwell within my heart. Amen. Now I'm going to actually turn to a different psalm for our text tonight. And I love the Psalms. As you know, I preach from them very often. Psalm number 9. Psalm number 9. 
Psalm number 9. which according to the subscript uh, word muthlaban is a Hebrew term and quite frequently we see musical notations and so forth but this supposedly means I am told the death of the sun so it's very possibly uh, connected to the occurrence of the death of the sun in 2 Samuel chapter 12. But here's what David, by inspiration, writes. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. A lot of believers will retain part of their heart for something other than the Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with what? All thy heart, soul, and mind. Every bit of us. A total sacrificial commitment to God. And he's saying with his whole heart he'll praise the Lord. I will show forth all thy marvelous works, not just some of them, not just those that are convenient. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Now what has happened to David? He's, he's lost a son. So notice the construction here. I will. I will. I will. I will. He is deciding to follow the leadership of the Lord in his life regardless of the circumstances. I will. And I know that apart from God's grace, there's nothing, there's no strength behind our, our I will. But the I will indicates a desire to line up with God's purposes, even in spite of the difficulties of the moment. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. Why? Because God's, God's in charge. He's the, he is the man of war. Uh, when, <clears throat> for thou hast maintained my right and my cause, thou uh, saddest in the throne judging right. Judging right. There it is. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for what? Say it. Judgment. There it is. And he shall what? Judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. So there's there's that tension between the two. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou hast, that lift, liftest me up, from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they have that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment, there's the word again, which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Now we have higion, which is a musical term, which means pause for a moment. Take a deep breath. Then we have Selah. And Selah is based on the Hebrew Selah, which means a big rock in the middle of your road forces you to stop. So 
So that's it. Stop and think about it. Think about it. Consider it. The wicked shall be turned into hell. That's serious. At what point did the Lord give us a musical pause and then a reason to stop and consider what we've read up to that point just before he starts talking about hell? Here it is. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in their, thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be what? But men. Selah. Who's in charge? God is. This whole psalm, it's a mouthful. But I want you to think with me tonight about this important truth that our God, in addition to being a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of kindness and long-suffering, we've got that tension because He is a God of justice. He is a God of righteousness. He is a God of white hot, divine anger against that which is wicked and rotten and that which attacks the innocent, the humble, the people of God. And he is not going to let what is going on in a world right now go on forever. There is a payday someday. There is a judgment. We all take hope in that. Everybody's hoping that uh, that their particular life and circumstance turns out like a television program. Well, back anyway in the 50s and 60s when it was black and white and somewhat decent, you know, by, by the end of whatever, 20-some minutes uh, in a half-hour program, 18 minutes or whatever with all the ads, by the end of that, you know, Roy Rogers is going to come around the bend, you know, on trigger, and, and he's going he's gonna to end the bad guys, you know, doing what they're doing. And it's all going to turn out and they're going to sing, I know they are, happy trails to you. Unfortunately, in real life, we don't always have uh, Roy and Dale singing happy trails at the end. Sometimes what goes on is painful and difficult, but there is a payday someday. And God is just. And he is righteous. And he is holy. And he is a God of judgment. Will you isolate the phrase in verse 16? The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. Let's pray. Father, help me now as we speak about this important subject. Help us, Lord, to, to see the balance in your perfection in, in your attributes, in our behalf, in Jesus' name, amen. There is a judgment, or should I say there are judgments. There is a hell. And the Bible is very clear from many notable passages, and, and I, I never tire of these, and we could never exhaust them in preaching them, but there is going to be a day when all that's wrong is going to be made right. And the ledger is going to be balanced once and for all because God is known 
by the judgment which he executed. The Bible does not say that God is known by these other qualities that we normally like to think of, but he's known by the judgment that he executeth. And that means this, that that is an area where there is no room for compromise. God's judgment on the divine ledger sheet must be balanced because of who he is and what he said and what he has done. His patterns are all consistent. When it comes to judgment, his judgments are always consistent. They are always what they ought to be. I want to show you some things from the Word tonight. Go to the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and you will recognize immediately in Romans chapter 8 this powerful passage of Scripture that, uh, that teaches us so many wonderful truths. Uh, for example, verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And then it says, for whom he did foreknow, hey, that's us, he also did predestinate, amen, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, that's us, and whom he called, them he also justified, that's us, and whom he justified, them he also glorified, that's going to happen, amen. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, please, please mark, underline, underscore, put, put in bold, uh, put an asterisk next to verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. You can read out to the end of the chapter and understand exactly how this works out on a practical basis. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We have that promise. We have that lock, that guarantee. If God was willing to not spare His own Son who died in our place, then how much more, I mean, we know if that is the case, and it is, that His hand of blessing and what He is going to give us and do through us is, is a guaranteed lock. We know that for a fact. Amen. Who can doubt Him? We cannot. As a result of that, we Christians ought to believe right and behave right. We ought to, we ought to hear right and we ought to Heed right. And God will give us the, the wherewithal. He'll give us the strength to do that. But it's based upon that understanding of who God is. God, when it comes to judgment, is not going to fudge one micro, one millionth of anything, any measurement. It is going to be precise and it is going to be according to the balancing of the ledger. It's that simple. God is not going to pull back on judgment. There is a price tag, and the price tag will be paid, and it will be paid in full. In terms of believers, what comes to heart and mind is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
where it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I know that's not a judgment for salvation. It's a judgment for those who are already saved. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, let's review quickly. What God has said in his word will come to pass. The balance of the ledger, the balancing will take place. There is a hell, and hell's requirements will be satisfied. Either folks will accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in which he experienced hell for us, or they will go to hell themselves. One of, the, uh, one of those two. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's going to measure out. When we think about that, we should not trifle with this business of judgment. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. And we who are believers are included in all of this. Let's just plan on that. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And would you look with me? 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Once again, who's in charge? Who's in control? Who holds us in his hands? Who is, who is looking after us and who absolutely guarantees by not sparing his own son that everything in the scriptures is going to come to pass. It's going to be fulfilled. We don't have to worry about God holding up his end of it. It's going to happen. It is absolutely going to take place. Turn over to Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, a payback, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? I know I've, I've heard this preached dozens of times by evangelistic preachers and they have preached don't pass up your opportunity to get saved but it's not about that it's about folks that are already saved and God has given us the everyday spiritual maintenance of our Christian living we are responsible to seek the Lord and be dependent upon him and follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and to appropriate the grace of God in living successfully. And if, if God keeps his promise regarding executing judgment and is known by that, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We neglect the salvation which is already ours. That's what it's saying. It's about what we've already been given by God's wonderful and marvelous grace. And so judgment is real. So how big is God? Yes, he's big enough to live within our heart, big enough to 
show us from the Word of God that He's still in charge. Big enough to remind us that every day is a stewardship of ours and we do not have the liberty to just live in a cavalier way because we're secure, saved forever. But that doesn't mean that everything is going to be okay in our daily life if we neglect so great salvation. He is known by the judgment which he executeth. And I cannot tell you how many hundreds of people that we have known over the years and have counseled sadly after the fact who neglected so great salvation. They had the opportunity to live in victory. Instead, they, they chose to live in the shadows. They chose to live in defeat. They didn't have to do that. And yes, their soul was saved. And for as long as God uh, was long-suffering with them, they continued to go on. And they, they, they never lost their heavenly home. Uh, they had the deed to that. That was settled by Jesus Christ at Calvary, but they didn't have the joy of the Lord. They didn't have the, the, the everyday blessings of the Lord that they could have had by being sure not to neglect so great salvation. Amen. Yes, we know the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. And we know this is true with the wicked being snared in the work of his own hands. And we know that the wicked, we know that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. But what about believers? No danger of being turned into hell. No danger of the same kind of eternal damnation. But certainly, God is known by the judgment which he executeth. I talked about those awakenings. 1730s, Jonathan Edwards, New England, first great awakening. A lot of professing believers were not saved and they got saved. A lot of professing believers were backslidden and they got right with God under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. When Jonathan Edwards <clears throat> who was nearsighted, read his hand-drafted manuscript page after page <clears throat> as he held a candle and held it up to his face and read that and droned on in a monotonous voice, the Spirit of God did the work. Why? Because God's Word will not return void. And an entire region of what would become the United States, the colonies, experienced this upending, this overhauling, spiritually speaking, known as the First Great Awakening. Sixty years later, Second Great Awakening. Approximately sixty years later, the Fulton Street Prayer Meeting Revival. Approximately fifty years later, Billy Sunday. And we haven't seen the likes of that since then. Pockets of it? Yes. The problem, we forgot the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. We've been playing fast and loose so long because God is good. We've been presuming upon his goodness. The church house ought to be full. Visitation ought to be, let me go first. No, let me go first. They ought to be fighting to get in line to go on visitation. 
but it's not. And there are very few people in very few places that would meet that description nowadays. People popping up and giving testimonies and giving praise to Jesus and talking about the wonderful thing that they read fresh and new in their Bible reading that day. Go ahead. Just at random, pick a local Baptist church across America and say, tonight we're just going to have just kind of open mic. Why don't you jump up and give the promise that God has blessed you with and, and stirred your soul. And listen to the crickets. Because most churches would be absolutely silent. I'm, I'm saddened, but that's typical. It's not what ought to be. It's what Vance Havner used to say. Nowadays, people are so subnormal that when someone comes along who is normal, everybody brands them as abnormal. The person that's all fired up, ready to charge hell with squirt gun, doesn't take very long for the rest of the cooled off crowd to cool him off, does it? Doesn't take long. God forbid, and yet that is so frequently the case. If the Lord is known by his judgment as well as by his mercy, if seeing what God has done in the past will help us, we understand that death is the result of unrepentant sin. We know that God who is perfectly balanced is not one-dimensional nor limited. He is still a God of love and mercy, but he is a God who executes Judgment, And if he spared not his own son, I wonder what we're in for down the line. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4, he spared not the old world. He, he spared not the angels. He destroyed the old world with a flood. He spared not Sodom and Gomorrah, but rained down brimstone and fire upon them. Did all of that. And then we have characters like Herod and Ananias and Sapphira and so many in Scripture that didn't get away with it. They paid a price. God was making an example. He was setting a standard, an ensample, so to speak. For those who disobey and break God's perfect law and do so without any thought, keep in mind that judgment must begin at the house of God. As I'm speaking tonight, I'm painfully aware of the fact that there will be some who will be turning off the message right now and saying, well, that's for someone else. Why, we're the ones that are tuned in. We're the ones who are in attendance. No, we're the ones who are hearing the message. Starting with this preacher, we know that the Lord is coming to judge the earth. We read that in Psalm 96. We know that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. We know that the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, and we in turn will be part of the whole judgment process as we judge angels. And so we are exhorted by the Apostle to be aware of the fact that someday we're going to be part of the whole judgment process. How important is it for us to live in light 
of that truth. There are four things that demand judgment. I'd like to share them with you tonight and we'll quickly be done. Please turn with me. Please turn with me to Job 37. Job 37. Job 37. And we were here just a few weeks ago. Job 37. And please notice in verse 23. It says, Touching the Almighty, we cannot find Him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. And the scripture here speaks of the justice of God that demands judgment. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, and <clears throat> let's begin at verse 5. Jeremiah 23, and verse number 5. All right. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. The justice of God demands judgment. The sin of mankind we know is universal. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is what? Death. And that is severe. We understand that death is the separation that takes place between God and and man and everything that is good and godly and man is separated because of that sin and because of the judgment that is demanded by that sin. Then thirdly, turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And as we're <clears throat> marking this, as we're going, please note verse number 27. Revelation 21 and verse 27. There shall no wise, in no wise, enter into it, that is, into the New Jerusalem, anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So heaven demands this judgment. It demands purity. It demands uh, that those who enter in have been cleansed. And last but not least, those of us who have been looking at others and trying to, trying to pick out what's wrong with this whole picture by looking at others instead of looking at ourselves, we come to Matthew chapter 7, and you know what's going to come with this. We've been talking about practical. This is as practical as it gets. All right. Matthew chapter 7, it says, Judge not that ye be not judged. This is judging not in the sense of discernment. Because God has given us discernment by the Spirit and by His Word. But this is judgment in the sense of, of being the judge, jury, and executioner. It's condemnation. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. We'd better be sure that we're lined up with the Lord and with His Word. And why beholdest thou the mote 
little, little uh, speck of sawdust that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam, the big, large piece of wood that's in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. There it is. There it is. The judgment that we know God by is based on these four considerations. First of all, God's very justice, His very nature, He is a just God, requires judgment. Sin itself requires judgment. Heaven requires judgment. You can't get in unless your sin has been judged and you've been purified. And then finally, the very fact that we have a propensity to want to find fault in one another instead of judging ourselves demands the judgment of God himself. Tonight I've brought a little brief message and I trust that it's been a help. We need to stop for a moment and consider that God is known by the judgment that he executes. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And who here tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. And may we <clears throat> treat this scripture with the reverence that it certainly deserves. It is the very word of God preserved for us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you do not know for a fact that you have been saved the Bible way, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'd like you right now to pray from your heart to God and pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I want Jesus to come into my heart, take away my sins, and take me to heaven when I die. Now, if you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up so I can see it right now? Anyone at all? Bless you. Body out of clay. 
broken pieces trusting his holy word.